0: Right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek. I'm joined by Rich on this week's episode of the Sixers Beat, uh, where we actually have current relevant news to talk about and not something that happened a week ago. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I'm a little confused. Not going to lie. I think I think there's a lot of confusion going on. When I to get this out of the way. I want to apologize if the audio quality is not what you're typically used to. If there's a bird chirping in the background <laughs> or a car driving by, I have a I, there's somebody sick in my house right now, and I'm trying to be respectful and not wake them up. So I'm recording out on my back porch, uh, which don't have the greatest control over the noise in the environment, but I will make do. As I can. This is obviously a situation where we don't want to wait too long to get a, a podcast out. Now we couldn't do one last night. We can't really do emergency podcasts because we both have responsibilities to write about the the news that would trigger an emergency podcast, and we have to give a, give give that our focus. But we do want to get something up before it's, you know, before we're too far away from it. So here we are.
1: What a start to the Elton brand era, man! Your podcasting outside.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Um. The process behind this podcast is not going to be A plus, but we will make do with it as we can. Speaking of which, which brings us to today's topic. Um, I guess what I'll, I'll, I'll start this off by saying, and I kind of want to get this out of the way. I respect Elton Brand from the moment he came into the Sixers organization. You heard raving reviews about him, about his work ethic, about how quickly he picked up the nuances of his new job, about how well he understood the game of basketball. This was long before the team had any expectation they would have to hire a high-level basketball executive, a lead, a lead executive, to run their organization. So I don't think they were just blowing smoke. I think they really did. were pretty much blown away by Elton Brand, his work ethic, and how quickly he picked things up. I believe that to be true. I believe that he was probably on the path to eventually becoming a general manager, at least a GM candidate. I believe that to be true. I don't know how long that would have taken. We're only about 20 months into his executive career, but I think that was going to eventually become the case. I have a lot of concern over the fact that we are, you know, he spent what, what was it like eight months as a director of player development, then a year as a GM of the, what was the then 87ers? Um, not director of player development, was it? player development consultant, something of that sort. I, sh- I should probably know this. So I wrote about it this morning. But he spent eight months in a, develop- a player development role and then a year in a GM of the G League role. Recently, like three weeks ago, promoted to vice president of player personnel with the Sixers, I believe. I should really check this. This should be in my notes. But we're doing an impromptu podcast from my back porch, so I apologize. But Uh p- Point is, he has very little experience in an NBA front office. That's concerning. It's not prohibitive. I know you brought up Danny Ainge and Steve Kerr, other people who have done something similar. It's not prohibitive. It doesn't mean he can't do it. But it is a concern. It is a risk. And there's other risks, too. You know, we spent two hours talking to Brett Brown yesterday at a, at a media lunch, <laughs> which was largely a waste of time because three hours later they leaked news about Brett Brown <laughs> or about Elton Brand being promoted to general manager. And half of that, that, Luncheon was was talking about the GM search. Don't you hate it when there's a coincidence like that? It's unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was mildly frustrating that we wasted our time, but you know we're we're, we'll move on. We'll we'll figure away. But in that press conference, you know, Brett really hinted at a lot. First of all, he said that he was a big role in the GM search. Felt like he deserved that. Felt like his voice should be heard in the you know, player personnel decisions coming up and was asked pretty directly whether or not he would have the final say. And he, he basically punted on that decision or yep. on, on answering that question, uh, said that that would be fleshed out when the announcement is made, which I guess now means Thursday. So you worry, and nothing that we're going to say has any real bearing on Brett or Elton or on their competency or on their, um, you know, anything about them, really, even, even their motivations and desires. We, I... Part of why this is tough is because I like and respect both of those people. But I think it's pretty easy to read between the lines. I've said this on a previous podcast where basically does collaborative, is that a code word for brep? You know, your head coach is going to have more say than he typically would and possibly even final say. I think the answer here is pretty clearly yes. And you went from a, an opening, which should have been the most attractive one in the sport, in recent memory in the sport. And you set so many conditions around it in keeping your coach, which we all agree with, by the way, Brett Brown deserves to see this thing out, and keeping the staff around them and in giving Brett Brown more than average decision-making responsibility. And we'll flesh out exactly what that is. I think it's pretty pretty clear that it's going to be extremely tough. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the team came out and said, no, Elton Brand has autonomy. You know, Brett Brown has to say, but he's not the final decision maker. It makes sense for everyone involved to say that. Uh, it makes sense for Elton Brand to not undercut his authority and his power on his big day, on his promotion. It makes sense for Brett Brown to not have to deal with, you know, being asked about personnel decisions in the middle of a playoff run or in the middle of a season at the trade deadline uh, and to be able to focus on coaching. So even if Brett Brown does have essential, essentially have sign-off rights, it would make sense for them to deny that, and I kind of expect them to do that. But it would be very, you know, the way I look at it, if you look, I'm sorry about this, you know, five-minute long monologue, but we'll let you have your piece too. But the way I look at it, If you're going to ask who has management's, who has ownership's ear the most, who has the most trust with ownership and who does ownership value the most? I think it's pretty clearly Brett Brown. And if Elton Brand wants to run something, you know, make a transaction that Brett Brown adamantly agreed with, I would be very surprised if Brett Brown or if Elton Brand, I'm going to screw up. There's too many B's in here, BR's in here, but I'd be very surprised if Elton Brand has the authority To completely overrule an adam and Brett Brown. I'd be really surprised. And that I have a lot of concern in a coach having that much say in player personnel. And I I I do think that, you know, collaborative means are you okay with this setup? I I I it's it's concerning. And not fatally, like it doesn't mean they can't do their job, but it's concerning.
1: Totally agree with everything you said. Uh do you think when uh, because Brett yesterday he promised some sort of, uh, power structure being unveiled when that announcement would be made, which we now know is tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, do you think they're going to have like a, a PowerPoint presentation with like a, <laughs> like an organizational flowchart that, that, uh, I would get a kick out of that. Um, uh, yeah. So, and, and you mentioned it, you know, I, I kind of went, cause you, you, you were, when we split this up, uh, yesterday, our writing, I was writing about, uh, at the time because we thought it was the, uh, it was just the luncheon that Brett had. I, I kind of focused on, you know, the Markel Fultz shot, Ben Simmons working with his brother, those type of issues that, that more had to do with the team. And, and you kind of took all of the GM, uh, stuff and, and then that turned into you having to change your story because we learned who the GM was a couple hours later. Uh, so, so when I was talking about it last night a little bit on Twitter, some people did bring up Steve Kerr and Danny Ainge, uh, and you know th- there are other people. I think Bob Myers was only on the job for about twelve months. A- well, he, a- although he, he was an agent. agent before he was season. an agent, like yeah, like
0: he and Magic. Fine. But you know, Palinka has a huge, huge role. I would say Palinka is more the day-to-day GM in that another, spot anyway. Another, sure.
1: another longtime agent too. Yep. So pe- yep. people who have seen the other side of these, uh, this which. That type of, of institutional knowledge is it's just, just on a whole nother level than what Elton has. Um, and, and the difference between Danny Ainge and Elton Brand is that this is an urgent job for Elton. And you wrote about this today. The most important decisions that he's going to make as Sixers GM are very likely going to happen in the next 12 months. Handing the reins over to someone who broke into basketball operations one season ago – is a risk. This is not a job that screams, we can let you learn on the job, and in a couple years, that's when we're peaking, and that's when we need you at your best. They need him to be great right away. And it's like you said, I I do want to get this out of the way. This isn't even about Elton that much. Like, as a person, I mean, first off, he was one of, although his contract was ended up being disappointing, like, one of my favorite players, old school Chevy. There, there is no person who is going to say a bad word about Elton Brad. You saw how excited the players were yesterday. Guys who weren't even on the Sixers anymore, like uh, like Iggy. Everyone who covered the Sixers during those years he was here. And, I mean, we were around him for a few months that one year he was brought in to mentor Julia Okafor.
0: I was around him all three times. He was here. I, I forgot, I somehow blocked this out. He was here three times, you know, back when they obviously signed him that big deal. Then they brought him back for 2015 16. Then for that month in 2017, right before he, uh, he, he retired. 2016, um, it was, it was, just the yeah, same. 2016. You're right, you're right. Uh, so 2015 16, he retired, came back for a month in training camp in 2016, and then said goodbye, goodbye for good. So he had three stints with the Sixers, and I was, I was, I was there for all three. And like you said, Nobody has a bad word to say about Elton Brent.
1: I think, I think every reporter says he's like the most professional person. And again, like, you know, I was there for those last two parts, but, but he wasn't really an integral part of the team. He wasn't somebody you were going to for quotes necessarily after every game because he frankly wasn't playing that much. Um, but look, I, I totally see that. And honestly, he always struck me as someone that had the chance to be a good GM down the road. Well respected. Super smart player who had a long ass career. And Frank, he just gave the vibe of someone who could be a calculated, patient decision maker moving forward. He just gave me that vibe. So when the Sixers hired him as the uh the Sevens GM at this time last season, I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. He could be good at this down the road. Um But yeah, like I look back at that press conference from Pretty much, I don't know if it's exactly 12 months ago, but it is last September. And he said something like, BC and someone else are saving me right now because I'm getting up to speed talking with agents. You know, I'll be able to do that in a week or so when I'm caught up. And it's like, when you're watching him, it's like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's very honest and he, and he's, he it seems like it's great that he knows what he doesn't know. But then it's like, oh yeah, that's your general manager 365 days later. And it's yeah. just man, it's a hard sell. Like I and it's at least give the Sixers this because one of the huge problems of the Colangelo era was a lack of transparency when that transparency was forcefully promised. Like you know, I know this search dragged out for forever and it wasn't perfect on in that regard, but at least Brett and uh and Harris didn't try to hide that they wanted to keep the front office intact. They, no, they gave no. you inklings on that. And,
0: and like, a, inklings, they beat you over the head with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> That's true. Uh, that seemed to be the one condition they were sticking to throughout all of this. That and a degree of collaboration. But as you just said, and you wrote in your article, and we've discussed for a while now, that idea of collaboration, it's a bit misleading. Like all GMs worth a shit collaborate and delegate, but they have the final say the Sixers seem to want something else. They wanted to seem somebody who necessarily wouldn't be making the final decision too, which, you know, of course leads us to Brett and, uh, and this strange, uh, this strange power structure. And, and, you know, I like Brett yesterday, he talked a lot about, uh, he knows that it's two jobs and he never wanted both jobs. Like, and and again, it's, it's a bit misleading as someone who loves Brett Brown. Like, like, yeah, he, you seem to understand that you can't do the legwork and day-to-day that a GM has to do. But to me, the person who does that legwork should also be the one who makes the final call. And final decision-maker, I'm sorry, is one job. So even if Brett has, you know, so much say that him and Elton are kind of on equal footing or maybe there's another person involved, uh, that doesn't really make me that comfortable either. Uh. So it's tough, man. Like we we weren't in love with Colangelo's past from the get go. I think if you go way back in our archives, I don't I don't think we have people do that for us, unfortunately. Uh, and please, please don't—they're terrible podcasts. Uh, I think I made the collars joke literally as soon as Jerry got hired. This one's different. I I, I respect Brad Nelton as basketball minds and his people, but I also think they were much better suited uh to their previous positions, and that's assistant GM and coach. So, you know, and it's like you said, Harris called this one of the best opportunities in sports at the, uh, not at the beginning of the off season when, uh, when Colangelo was let go. And now he's handling it over. He's handing that position over to a relative neophyte. It's, uh, look, I, I don't know how Elton Brand's going to do. He could be great for all we know. Uh, and, and Brett and whatever this structure is could, could do a great job, but, all we have to do, all we have to go on right now is resumes and past history of these, uh, these sort of structures. And it's, I- I'm sorry. It's not great. It doesn't seem great on paper.
0: No. And it, they'll make a big deal about, you know, the staff they have in place and how much talent they have on the staff in place. And I don't, I, I can't disagree with that. Like I think Brett Brown and Josh Harris have a much better gauge on, you know, Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker than you and I do. But I will say all of them right now have more responsibility than they've ever had at any point in their career, with the exception of maybe Mark Eversley, who I think, according to Keith Pompey, would now be fourth on the organizational hierarchy, not counting Brett Brown. But Rucker and Cohen and Brand, they all have more responsibility than they've ever had before in terms of of running an NBA franchise. And obviously, Cohen had a lot of experience at the NBA front office, but in terms of running an NBA franchise, not that this is new to him, but more is on their shoulders than has ever been, and when you talk about you know a head coach, let's say theoretically, if Brett Brown was the one with final decision making, and I, I I agree with you, a lot of a lot has been made about Brett not having the bandwidth to do both jobs, and I agree that would be a huge concern in, in, in a coach having final say. But there's also the matter of perspective, and a coach and a GM have to approach things in a different way because a coach is going to be focused on the day to day. And being able to separate yourself and think about what's best for the long-term four, five, ten years of a franchise is very hard for a coach who's living in that environment, in that reality, to do. Speaking that doesn't mean it's impossible. Speaking of that,
1: Stan Van Gundy is always the example that, that people bring up and Doc Rivers of the coach GM that doesn't work. They have GMs. Right. They have people who do the, the legwork. Doing legwork. Who is it? Jeff Bauer and then I'm blanking on who the Clippers guy was. But – Come on. I mean, those are there's a difference between being the GM and the person with the final say.
0: Right. So are there examples where a coach having final say could work? Yes. Are there examples where a new executive can work? Yes. But they're both risks. They're both pretty big risks. And both of them combined, if I were a fan, would make me a little bit uneasy. Even like we said, we respect both Brown and Brand. Um, It is – and, you know, I think one thing – I don't even remember where I was go- where you left off when I got on this tangent, but one other thing real quick. You know, I think a lot has been made, like you said, about brand's ability to learn on the fly. I forget if that was in the ESPN report and the USA Today report. You know, but brand's ability to grow into the role. And, like you said, this isn't the time to be doing that. I think the Sixers feel like this is a safe time to make a safe hire because they're so well set up. And that's true, they are well set up. But this is, you know, it's like I wrote in my column today on The Athletic, if you screw up a couple of years of the Kings' rebuild, nobody gives a shit because it's just a couple. Of, you're, not, you're not losing an opportunity; you're just wasting a couple of years. If the Sixers would have screwed up when they hired, you know, when they started the, the rebuild and hired somebody other than Sam Hankey and the, and you know didn't really commit to a rebuild and wasted a couple of years, you waste a couple of years, but you move on with life. They're in a spot now where most people listening to this podcast will have never seen them in a spot to contend, as well positioned to contend as they are now. This is this is. Not once in a generation, but like you're going to go a long time before you get an opportunity as good as this one to compete for a decade, not for a year, not for a 2001 run, but for a decade. And if you blow this opportunity, to me, it's much riskier than if you were a rebuilding team, if you are a down and out team. This is, this has real consequence to it. And bringing in a front office with very little experience to guide a coach who doesn't have experience as a lead decision maker? It's a little bit unsettling if I was, if I was a fan. It, it, it just, it, and like we said, not about Brett, not about Brown. These could be anonymous people with the same track records and the same background. And we'd probably, quite frankly, have greater concern because we know less about them. So this has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with people left in the front office. Um, but it was, I mean, it, to, to me, I think the team is looking at it as a safe decision and I view it completely the opposite way. <laughs>
1: Me too. Like, I mean this is like this is winning time. <laughs> this yeah. is going to be the most pressure in, in terms of the the GM. Uh there's one other thing too I've kind of seen floated uh you know on Twitter and other places too. The idea that Elton is not a Colangelo guy is wrong. Oh, of course he is. He's he's well liked around the league, and of course he played for the Sixers before Colangelo is here. But he's here because of Brian Colangelo. He's absolutely right. a Colangelo guy. So that's just a that's a minor thing, and you know, man, there's there's already opinions that vary wildly on this. Some people love the move because they like Elton, and it's it's trust me, I'm sure at his press conference tomorrow he's going to kill it. Uh, some people want us to come down harder on it, and to be fair, we're we're pretty critical on this one. But like when you judge a GM hire, there is also a level of I don't know involved too. Right, hiring Hinky. It seems like uh seems like the process. Uh, I, no pun intended, but maybe pun intended. Uh, was good and the results were good. Hiring Colangelo, the process was a joke, and the results are TBD. But they generally look lukewarm or probably something below that. And then here, I don't like the process very much either. You know, you know, we'll see about the results. Let me, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think Elton in the next year would have gotten a GM interview anywhere else?
0: No, I think he probably would have had to follow the Malik Rose path, where maybe he takes an assistant GM. And it's a situation like Detroit where you have two or three assistant GMs and prove his medal there and work his way up.
1: And Malik Rose has been doing this for what, three years? And now he's finally just an assistant GM?
0: Sounds right. Certainly, certainly more than one. He was a couple years as a GM in the D-League. I forget exactly how (laughs) long, if it was two or three, but yeah.
1: However long Al has been calling Sixers games. That's, that's how long, that's how long Malik's been on the job in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, so that's you know that's that when you're stacking that up against somebody like Ersan Rosas or somebody like Justin Zanic. And look, I don't know if those guys were the answers, but but I do know that they they've been they've been in the war room when successful teams have made critical decisions. They they have more experience seeing what that's like, and it's just tough, man. Elton. Ugh. It's like you said, it's like we said, freaking two years ago, he was, he was getting ready for training camp as a player. Two years ago. <laughs> um, and, and this is all, by the way, so on brand for the Sixers. No pun intended, I guess now too, but just there's always something going on with this team. And, you know, I, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't sit perfectly with me for sure.
0: No, it just it it just seemed they were never really interested in hiring an external GM candidate. Like maybe they would go and, and ask a couple people and see whether or not they were willing to to work under the restrictions that were placed upon them. But there was no wide ranging search. I mean, Joshua Harris admitted to it. He's you know he said this isn't going to be a giant tournament or whatever. He, however he phrased it to ESPN a month ago. And I think the if you're going to say that. You hired Elton Brand because he blew you away in interviews or he blew you away working for you the past year and a half and not because, you know, Brown's comfortable working with him and and he's comfortable sharing that decision-making responsibility. I think it's probably a mix of both. But if you're going to tell me that, then that just lends credence to the fact that you have to go out and have as wide of a search as possible because there could be 10 other people around the league who are unknown, who aren't getting the proper – Job title or respect they deserve, but who might be able to blow you away in an interview if given a chance? Who might have this vision that you didn't even think of, that is well thought out, meticulous, and detailed, and and, and really is able to hit on all cylinders? And you're not going to know that because you wanted to hire, you know, interview your th- four guys along with Maury, who you knew you weren't going to get, and uh, Griffin, and you know, three assistant GMs, and then move on with life. it's just it's, it's stunning to me that. The process behind this, and like you said, no pun intended, and I actually do mean that. But it's stunning to me that you know you're you're talking about now. Joshua Harris has hired what four GMs? Yes, and three of them have been internal hires. I'm counting Brian Colangelo as an internal hire because his freaking father was a special advisor. So you're talking about three of them that required almost no real, um, you know, ultimately went back to somebody you had in house or somebody you had a close relationship with. I just wonder, like, what, what, is Joshua Harris, especially after what happened with Sam Hinkie? is he, is he scared to rock the boat? Is he a little too conservative for his own good? And it, it's just, it's, it's an uninspiring hiring process for a candidate, like we said, I, I do like and I do respect, but it's, uh, it's, it's, we'll see. We'll see, man. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm worried about inexperience. I'm worried about Brett Brown having too much of a say in player personnel. Um, We'll see, we'll see. I'm not, not sure how, what else to really add to that.
1: They hired the least experienced person of their internal candidates
0: too. Oh, for sure, hundred percent.
1: Uh, and, and, and I mean, I, mean, I look, do. to do. I do understand a little bit why Brett would want a partner in terms of like, yeah, I don't think his motives are are completely. Uh, Sinister here or anything like that.
0: I mean, the last he, GM they tried to hire wanted to fire. fire him. So I, I get where he's coming from for sure.
1: Right. And he, he found a way to, to just persevere through that and, and all of those losses. So I, I, I understand. Like he's, he's a big part of this franchise. And to be fair to the Sixers, like that does cons- that does complicate this search a little bit. E- even if I don't like how they handled this. But yeah, man, it's. I just find it hard to believe that Brad isn't going to have a massive voice here. And to me, the the coach GM thing is is pretty much a no go philosophically on on all fronts. I, I get it. Greg Popovich did it. I I don't really care though. It's, <laughs> that is the exception of the rule.
0: Nope. Uh, I am I am right there with you. Uh, we will have a lot more on this. Come Thursday, when when Brand has, although it hasn't been officially announced by the team, it's been reported by everyone, and and you know I've heard similar that Thursday is the day that we will get to talk to I have Elton, and I assume Josh Harris as well. Um, he usually talks when a hiring like this is made. It'll be interesting to see exactly how they discuss this power dynamic and the thought process behind it.
1: PowerPoint, uh, PowerPoint, I want it. <laughs> the uh, and then we got training camp, man.
0: Yeah, Friday. Right, at, well, media day Friday, training camp Saturday, so we have a lot of Sixers news coming up.
1: <laughs> the Sixers uh, are back, man. They're back in full swing now.
0: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Which is good. That was a, a long summer, but any other quick thoughts? I guess we'll keep this one kind of short. A quick reaction to the decision, and then we will have more when the decision is discussed.
1: Not much. I and this is a. Uh a little off topic, 150,000 shots. I, I, I'm not sure I'm buying that. That's It's a lot of shots, man.
0: It, it is a lot. That is what Brett Brown said. Um, Claim that Markel Fultz put up 150k shots. Got a lot of people yelling at me for not checking it. I think we understood that it was a lot of shots, but I'm not you know, I'm trans, I'm relaying what Brett Brown is saying. I'm not going to call him a liar on that. Was it maybe a hundred, a hundred and twenty thousand shots and a hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's including layups or free throws in there as well as longer range jumpers that we would typically associate with. That could be a possibility. Uh, but I think the point is, and the point Brett Brown was trying to make and, and maybe not to take it too literally. Put in the work. Is he put in a lot of work, correct? Yeah. Yep. And it was interesting how he phrased it. You know, he said, i. Uh, Didn't expect to get a no-Markel Fultz tangent, but here we are. Uh, He said (laughs) that— My bad. You know what? I think that he was confident taking jumpers in the scrimmages they were playing at the practice facility since he returned to Philadelphia, uh, but that the form is a little bit inconsistent when he does. Is that a a fair representation of what Brown said? It is. So we will see. Another thing that we will have a lot more clarity on in the coming days. Hopefully. You never know. All right, man. Alright, well thanks for jumping on and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: It ain't hard to tell. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contacted, I
0: attract clientele. My mic check is like for death, breathing a sniper breath. I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps.